It's a powerful clip, isn't it? Um, I'm going to ask you a question, though. This is not a rhetorical question. I don't want silence when I ask this question. I'm wondering if anyone here has met someone extraordinary. You can look to the person beside and go, no, it was you, really, it's you. Um, but no, someone extraordinary, someone who you, it might have been someone you have always wanted to know, always wanted to meet and excite. It might have been someone who, a celebrity or a superstar that, that you've just thought was wonderful and loved all of their movies, or it might have been someone in your family. Is there anyone here who's met someone extraordinary? And I want you to tell me about it. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to have a think. Tell us about your extraordinary person. Well, I met Lady Diana because my part-time job was a waitress at Government House when I was at uni. And um, I remember offering her a chocolate and she said, actually, I think I'll take two. (laughs) Lovely. Good, Lady Diana. That's pretty good. Have you told a few people that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon that would be a good party starter, kind of conversation starter, yeah? Any others? Oh, good. Thank you. Um, many years ago, I used to be on the selection committee for the Victorian Father of the Year mm. and uh, met a few famous people there, but one of the ones that stuck out to me was Dr. John Masterton, and he pioneered a lot of burns. He ran the burns unit at the mm. Alfred Hospital and um, pioneered a lot of uh, burn surgery work. And I'm just looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, you know, he's just dedicated his life to this, and I'm feeling, like, very, very small speaking, <laughs> speaking to someone, mm. you know, who is so important in so many people's lives. And I actually met... Um, someone I went to university with years before, hadn't seen her for you know 15 years, and she had been treated by this guy, and um, you know, and she'd suffered some fairly horrific burns, and yeah. she saved his life. Yeah, oh, he so. saved her life, um, and you know, it just really put a lot of things into perspective for me. So he was a you know just an amazing guy. Yeah, sounds as though that that encounter changed a few things for you, put some perspective in. Yeah, sorry, we've got time for one more, I reckon. One more extraordinary, extraordinary person that someone's met. Oh, great. Yeah, I met um, Bill Bright, who was the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh-huh. which uh, he grew a ministry that has 28,000 staff and in 190 countries. And um, he was a very famous man in America and uh, around the world. And yet when, uh, when, he, when I met him, he just wanted to know all about me. Mm. And then he said, can I pray for you? Oh. And I, it really touched me, his humility. Yeah. I love, I love asking people to tell stories and to tell stories about things that have happened to them, things that are real for them, things like that, the, the people that we meet. I have to say, one day I almost met Johnny Depp and that was very exciting. Um, <laughs> I kind of had this thing that I, I appreciate Johnny Depp's acting. I like his movies. He's quirky. I reckon he'd be a great person to meet. And I thought if I ever got to meet him, he would see my brilliance and put me in one of his movies, which I thought would be wonderful. Um, and so I had this plan. Now, this is going to sound more stalkerish than it actually is. It was kind of a funny plan. Um, uh, that I just would joke with friends with. And I'm like, well, I don't live in, in the US, so there's a very, low chance of me ever actually meeting Johnny Depp. Um, And so I thought, well, I live in Australia. What actor in Australia um, 
works a lot with Johnny Depp, that if I ever run into that actor, then maybe I'll be able to then kind of form a relationship and that he'll go, yes, let me introduce you to Johnny Depp. I'm like, great. So that was my plan, jokingly, inside, that I would tell friends about. Um, And then one day I was sitting in a school musical theatre. I was in the audience. There was music theatre happening. And and who were one of the people that Johnny Depp has worked with a lot? Uh, Think Captain Sparrow, Jeffrey Rush. And I'm sitting there and my lovely husband's sitting beside me. And this taller man just shuffles in the row in front and sits down. And guess who it was? was Jeffrey Rush. And I'm like, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. And you know what I did? Absolutely nothing. There was no way I was going to ask Jeffrey Rush if I could introduce him to Johnny Depp. But that was how I almost met Johnny Depp. That's, that's my claim to frame. I know. I was one step removed. It's fine. Um, but there's something about stories, and as I was hearing just those few, I would love to just sit here all day and hear about the amazing people that you have met, the extraordinary people that you have met. But there's something when we meet someone um, and they make an impression on us or, or we have an encounter with them that changes us. And you can see it in people's faces and you can see it when they, and you can hear it in their voices. Uh, when they're talking to you and they're telling you about it, there's a, there's a deeper sense of passion. There's something that resonates there. there there's, there's something that they want to get across to you about how they treated you or what did they do or how they engaged. And we're going to spend a bit of time looking at that this morning. I think maybe this way. There we go. As Troy said, we've, we're looking at this idea of, of spreading out the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and as he said, w- what does that look like in our context today? Well, it's the where you are, this city, the marginalized, and the outer limits. So spreading out, spreading out far. And, and, and this idea of, of being... Um, impacted by someone and, and going out and spreading that, that impact to other people, we see really all throughout the Bible, but particularly in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, in the interactions that uh, people had with Jesus. There was something that when people came into contact with Jesus and their life was transformed by him, that was uncontainable actually uncontrollable in some ways. They had to go out. They were almost propelled to go and spread out, share the message of Jesus. And, and, and we could, again, spend all day talking about all of the different encounters that we see in the Gospels. But, but there's one particularly that I want to look at. We're going to look at Mark 5, 1 to 20. So if you want to follow along on your phone or your iPad or whatever else you might have, an actual real Bible in your hand... Maybe. Um, We're going to go Mark 5, 1 to 20. Now, Jesus often arrives to places by boat. It's kind of a geographical thing. And so Jesus has arrived at the shore and he hops out. And instantly, it kind of suggests that there is a man there ready to confront him. It says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. This was a big meeting. 
This was a big confrontation here. And I want to make something really clear. When, when we talk about evil spirits, I'm not talking about mental illness. I know there was a time in our history where we kind of just put the two and lumped them together, but, but that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking about something different to mental illness. This is a spiritual issue, um, an evil spirit. And in our world today, um, in our Western culture, particularly I reckon here in Australia, we can kind of just go, oh, evil spirits, that's back for them. That's, that's, that's long ago. That doesn't impact us in our world today at all. And yet, if you go to uh, other cultures and other, uh, other places in our world, the idea of the spirit world and evil spirits defines so many people's lives. Um, I was travelling in Cambodia, and I another story that's told a lot, I tell this story a lot, so I apologise if you've heard it before. But I was uh, travelling in Cambodia, I was with a group, um, and we were there um, at the time of the water festival. So what happens in Phnom Penh when... Um, there is a particular time of the year where there is so much rain uh, from the monsoonal season that the main river, the Tonle Sap River, actually changes direction. And so there's a giant festival, the water festival, that happens around this time. Now, Phnom Penh, this was in 2010, Phnom Penh is, it has about a population of a million and a half. And in this time of the water festival, another million people from all over Cambodia come and to celebrate this festival. And it's amazing. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Families will camp out beside the river and they'll bring all of their cooking supplies for the whole day and then they just stay there and they just hang out. And then as the day gets, goes on and people finish work and all these sorts of things, more and more people come, more and more people, to the point that to actually move was very difficult. We, um, we were with a group and so literally to get, to get anywhere, we would hold on to each other and to cross a road, I remember... I remember stepping over a motorbike, doing this to a van, and just trying to get weave our way through anything. It was just so jammed, packed. Um, and because uh, Cambodia is not the most developed country, um, there, when we were there, there were two escalators in all of Cambodia. And so you should have seen the lines out the shopping centre door just to ride on an escalator. It was wonderful. It was amazing. People going up and down. It was just a real sense of celebration. One night, though, we had just had enough of the crush. We couldn't handle the amount of people anymore. And so we went back to the hotel room a little earlier. And through the night, we'd heard some sirens. uh, And we'd actually seen a truck full of military going down the road. And us being new to the country went, well, maybe this is just what happens. Maybe this is uh, how the water festival works. It wasn't until we woke up the next morning that we heard, I turned on the news, that we'd heard overnight 500 people had actually been killed. Uh, 500 people had died. It was the biggest death, a number of deaths in Cambodia since the Pol Pot regime. It was massive. It just devastated the country. Um, what had happened was a new bridge had been built. And there were rumours about this bridge because when they built it, a number of... Um, of the slum area had to be um, demolished and people had started rumours that the spirits were unhappy about this. And so this bridge was completely packed and someone said the bridge is about to collapse and there was a stampede and that night 500 people died. Now over the next week that we were there, there were people putting out um, 
kind of offerings, I suppose. They looked like they were banana leaves and, and water and candles putting outside of their um, shops and their houses. And, and to me, after witnessing this great sense of celebration and joy and family, I said to one of the workers we were there visiting, I said, this is just, this is just beautiful. That in, as they mourn, um, and remember their, their, those who've died, how they're remembering and just celebrating their lives with, the, with these offerings. And she said to me, Hayley, that'd be lovely if that's what's happening, but that's not what's happening here. These people are terrified. They're absolutely terrified because they believe the spirits of those who died will roam for the next seven days and they are trying to ward off that. These people, while they're mourning, are living in absolute fear of the spirits. And so we might look at this evil spirit and go, oh, yeah, no big deal, that's nothing these days. But in the many worlds, in, in, in many places in our world, and I would say even in many places right here where we are, this idea of, The spirit world is very real and very true. And so this man, he comes out, he's he's possessed by an evil spirit, and he comes from the cemetery to meet Jesus. And he lived in the burial caves. Now, for for someone to be living in the burial caves, there is a a lot going on. Um, For a Jewish person to be living in the burial caves... To be around things that are unclean, dead bodies, means that they are completely shunned from society. They are completely out there. They have been pushed to the most unclean limits that there are. It goes on to explain whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This man was completely ravaged by what was going on inside him spiritually. In many ways, and probably for the people around him, he would have been better off dead. Better off dead. He'd already been cut off from his family and cut off from his community and so many ways he was completely cut off from himself. He'd lost himself and was doing some disastrous things around there. And so this man, seeing Jesus hop out of the boat onto the shore, rushes towards him. And the spirits controlling him know that this guy, Jesus, is not just some ordinary man. Because look what this guy does. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him run to meet him and they bowed down before him. So you think evil spirits controlling this man and what did they force this man to do? Bow down before Jesus and they say, with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Can you imagine this? Like, can you imagine this scene? And what follows is, is this real kind of interplay of, of Jesus with these, these spirits and the spirits in the man begging and asking him, don't send us to a distant place because they knew Jesus was not going to allow them to stay in this person. Jesus was going to transform this guy's lives and the spirits knew it before anyone else did. And they begged Jesus, don't, don't send us off to a distant place. And for some reason... There's a, what do you call a mob of pigs? 
heard of pigs? You can tell I'm from a farming background, can't you? Um, there's a group of pigs uh, over in a field, and the Bible says about 2,000 of them. And the spirits say to Jesus, don't send us away to a distant place. Just send us to the, to the pigs. Just send us away to the pigs. And Jesus gives them permission. I love that word, permission. Jesus gives them permission. Jesus is in control here. And they go. They go into the pigs. And what happens the minute that they hit the pigs or enter the pigs? The pigs all run to a cliff and jump off and drown. Now, I don't know about you, but the suicide of 2,000 pigs would probably cause a bit of a ruckus in town. And so people come, well, the herdsmen, and we'll go to the next one, the herdsmen run out and into the towns and they start going, you've got to see what's happened here, you've got to start coming, you've got to start getting out here. And people are coming and coming and they want to know what's happening. A crowd gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and they were all afraid. They were coming out to see what had happened with these pigs and what Jesus was doing and that was kind of the big deal. But what was the biggest surprise and what actually caught their attention? It was that this man who had probably been in their village and they'd seen and they'd known since he was a child and had grown up with them and they had been through this struggle with him and they'd tried to chain him up and they'd pushed him out of society and he's become this thing out, out, way out, we don't want anything to do with him. He's sitting there, completely calm, completely sane and that's what terrified them. In this brief encounter with Jesus... We see a man who's been transformed. It says that Jesus, as he was getting into the boat, I love how the Bible condenses everything. It sounds as though Jesus walked up, went, See you later, pigs. See you later, evil spirits. Go to the pig. Man is healed. See you later. It probably, oop. It probably was more time than that. It was probably more time than that, but the Bible condenses it for us and it says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He's healed now. He's been transformed and he knows it's because of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, let me come with you. Please let me come with you. Let me leave this place and follow you. I want to follow you wherever you want to go. Wherever you are going, I want to go with you. But Jesus says something to him, which is well, as Jesus does, is quite profound. He says, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Grace. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Jesus says, I don't want you to follow me right now. I want you to stay here with your family. Can you imagine when this man walked back into his home that he'd been cut off and his family had just, who knows if they disowned him or they just couldn't handle it anymore and he walks back in and he says, Jesus changed my life. Can you imagine what would have happened in that family? Can you imagine what would have happened in that community? Can you imagine the transformation that would have rippled throughout all of these places when this man demonstrated and told and showed and and, and affirmed what Jesus had done in his life? 
I love in at the I think one of the last verses in John where it says, "And man, Jesus did many other things, and all of his events couldn't be held in these number of books." And I think so much would have we would have been get to know here if we had of all of that. But we see this amazing thing happen here: person who is transformed by God, and they can't contain it, and they go around to their key relationships where they are where they are now in their Jerusalem and they speak about Jesus' transformation in their life. This is a pretty full-on story. It's an amazing story, but it does in many cases seem very extreme. Okay, Uh, uh, Evil possession, pigs committing suicide, Jesus in that. And and while it's a great story, I reckon the, the danger of this story is that we could kind of just dust it off and rub our, wring our hands of it and just kind of go, you know what, great story. Jesus, yay. Man healed, yay. Doesn't really have a whole, much, whole lot to do with me. But I think here is an amazing model of what Jesus is asking each of us to do. I think the fact that if anyone, if, if we have become a follower of Jesus... The grace that Jesus has demonstrated to allow us to do that, the grace that God has demonstrated to allow us to do that is revolutionary. It's transformational, just as much as a man who has been cleansed of these evil spirits. Yet I can easily forget about that. I grew up, and I love the stories that we heard today, and I grew up in a Christian home where my family read Bible stories to me all of the time. And the idea of Jesus was wonderful, but it was actually just very normal. And the awesomeness of Jesus kind of gets lost on me, often. I'll admit that, kind of gets lost on me very often. And so the fact that I might want to tell other people about Jesus, well, what difference does that really make? What difference does Jesus really make? And yet if I think of over moments in my own life, there are times when I have those aha moments where I go, this is the difference that Jesus makes. And standing in that place in Cambodia and our worker telling me, no, they are terrified, Haley. They are terrified. Fear is ruling their lives. And in that moment, I had an aha moment. That's when I went, this is the difference Jesus makes bringing a peace that, that surpasses all understanding. This is the difference Jesus makes. And I look at that in our own world, and we can easily say, yep, yeah, that's characterised by fear. How much is our own world characterised by fear? Turn on the news this morning. How much is our own world characterised by fear? What's the difference that Jesus makes? A peace that surpasses all understanding. All understanding. That's the difference Jesus makes. And I want to live in a world where more people know that and more people understand that. And that's the difference that I think if you're a follower of Jesus here today, we can all go, yes. We can testify to that. We can say, yes, that is what I understand. That's what I get. When things are getting too much or too big, I know I can turn to someone who is bigger and greater and who has it in control and place it there. Peace that surpasses all understanding. 
And I can tell people about that. But I reckon then what we do is we go, well, I can tell people about that. Yes. And then we go, but then I should know about this. And oh, but I don't really know about that. And how I'm, uh, I'm not so sure about how Corinthians links with this. And I'm not so sure about what if they have questions for me? How am I going to answer that? And we kind of then put it all back in the box and we place all our experience in there and we go, well, that's really nice. But deep down, no one really wants to know this stuff. And we keep it to ourselves and we hold it to ourselves. And, and I can only say that because I know it. That's what I do. There's, there's this great writer. Uh, he's, he's a missionary and a theologian. And he, he says, when it comes to mission, and I love there's three things in here that I think is great about this spreading out. If it's real for me, if it's real for me and we want to spread out, it says, when Christians affirm that Jesus is the way. When followers of Jesus, those who've decided to follow Jesus affirm that Jesus is the way, the true and living way by who we come to the Father, we are not claiming to know everything. We're not claiming to know everything. We are claiming to be on the way and inviting others to join as we press forward to for, toward the fullness of the truth, toward the day when we shall know as we have been known. When Christians affirm, when if you are a follower of Jesus, you can say, yes, Jesus has made a difference in my life. Jesus continues to make a difference in my life. And I believe he wasn't just a great man or a great prophet. I believe he was something more than that. When we can affirm, then we don't need to know everything. And we don't need to claim that. I'm a person who likes boxes and things to be put in order and I like if someone asks me a question to be able to give them the answer but sometimes I don't know is an all right answer let's grapple through this together sometimes we don't know and we don't need to claim that we know everything but what we can do is we can invite we can invite others to join us as we discover more deeply Jesus more real for ourselves I'm going to invite the uh, band to come up now uh, I had a great experience yesterday. Um, one of my roles at work, I work for a cross-cultural mission organisation, a, a, a mission organisation, and we actually send people to the ends of the earth. That's that's where I work, um, and I get to be part of the interviews of people who are discerning whether God is calling them this and whether they want to go with our organisation. So I sat down with four people yesterday and we talked through all of this and I've done that for a couple of years now and the thing that I love about what they say, and they all say it differently, but the thing that they love about what they say is when we say, why would you do this? Why would you do this? I even said to one guy yesterday, in the world's eyes, this is completely ridiculous. Why would you move your family... Why would you go to the neighbour next door? Why would you walk across the street? Why would you move to another country and share about how Jesus is changing your life? Why would you do that? And without a doubt, they'll all say in their own way, because I know what Jesus has done for me. How can I not? How can I not? It's not about knowing everything. It's not about knowing everything, but it's about affirming who we are in Christ and inviting people to join that journey. So I want to just give us a moment as the, as the band plays. For those who are followers of Jesus, I want you to just sit and think and take the time. What difference has Jesus made in your life? 
seems like such a simple question that it's crazy that we even ask it. But in the choices you've made, in the way that you, the way that the way that life has happened for you, in the way that you've dealt with big things, what difference has Jesus made in your life? And for those who aren't followers of Jesus and who are checking this out and wondering what it's all about, what are the big questions that you might have that you could ask someone to find out what difference Jesus makes?